Hi, I'm Deborah Hamilton. Welcome to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? Ten years ago, with my iPhone and a script, I recorded the first episode of the Ultimate Pet Resolution Summit, which chatted with experts about conflicts over animals. Our conversations were intimate, honest, and illustrated how disagreements over animals occur and how those disagreements can reshape people's lives and relationships. In November 2019, I started Why Do Pets Matter, a new podcast that continued these informative discussions. I'm so excited to have you here with me, continuing my exploration into a more meaningful conversation about why pets matter to all of us. My guests and I will share ideas, stories, and experiences straight from the heart, unscripted and holistic. From the bravest moments to the most brokenhearted, we will explore how to resolve disagreements over animals differently. One thing I know for sure is I want to have more meaningful conversations that will help all of us unlock that deeply felt human-animal bond that drives the emotions of conflict. On today's podcast, I chat with Vivian Levin, a fear-free certified dog behavior consultant. What's that? Vivian explores the entire family dynamic with the pet. She works to unlock why things are not working out. Hi, it's Deborah Hamilton, and welcome again to Why Do Pets Matter? And today, I am so grateful for my friend and colleague, Vivian Levin, to be here to speak with my listeners. Welcome, Vivian. Thank you, Deborah. I'm honored to be invited to have this conversation with you. Well, that's great because you are just the cat's pajamas. Vivian is a certified dog behavior consultant. She also has and does dabble in mediation. So right there, she's my best friend. Uh, and she's also Fear Free certified. I am on the Fear Free advisory board. So we have, if any of you don't know, Dr. Morty Becker started the Fear Free program. So you can go to vets who really practice fear free veterinary medicine. And we may get into that today, or we may have to have Vivian back to talk about that. But I just want to welcome you, Vivian. It's so wonderful to see you. We, not that anyone on this podcast knows, but we've been trying to schedule this for the longest time and just life got in the way. So we are now here and we are going to enjoy every minute. So of course, Vivian, before we start doing anything else, you have to answer the one question, why do pets matter to you? Um. Oh, wow. That's a big question. So even already when I was a child, um, I'm, an, I'm an only child. I asked for a dog for the longest time. And then it actually, um, I, uh, my, my mother got a dog when my parents divorced. Imagine that. So a Cocker Spaniel puppy when I was seven. And that was my, my best buddy for, for many years. And um, then I got into horses. I had, you know, we had a cat, uh, rabbit. So I've, I've always been interested in animals since I was little. And then I got more into animal welfare, um, animal rights. Uh, and then I've had, um, yeah, just a lifelong connection with animals. And now I'm working with uh, as a behavior consultant. And, and part of that for me is I think, um, sort of understanding animals, helping people understand animals is very rewarding to me and um, and that animals do well, their welfare and that they're not, you know, uh, mistreated, misunderstood. It's just, um, it's just a very rewarding, rewarding thing for me. So it's, it's 
Yeah. So before we got on the air, I was glad to hear that you're doing some mediation beside your certified dog behavior consultant practice. You're doing some mediation. It has to do with divorce. So let us know a little bit about how your first dog, Cocker Spaniel, who was named? Sambu. Sambu. So yeah. <laughs> how did he or she, a black and white, oh, I love them. My friend had one that was called Oreo, mm -hmm. uh, of course. But uh, how did she help you cope with the divorce? And then if you, you don't mind, mm -hmm. in this sort of general way, because we know as mediators, we can never talk specifically about anything. We always have to go to the general. How has that experience really helped you in your experience helping families of divorce um, and if there are animals involved? Uh, yeah, so Sambo, um, it, it was just uh, someone that I played with, you know, would be outside with. I mean, we were just like, you know, obviously it was my mom. I mean, I was seven, had the main responsibility, but it was like my my um, yeah playmate, if you will, and that gave a lot of... Uh, a lot of joy, a lot of comfort in many different ways from cuddling on the couch, playing together, just having someone to, you know, uh, do things with. Um, so I think uh, with uh, the mediation in custody cases I do, uh, I don't necessarily have a lot of, um, there's not really a lot of connection with what, what animals those families have that usually doesn't come up, but um, but for me it's interesting because some of it this is maybe jumping to to something different. But I do see like it's about harmony and communication, and when that falls apart, right? In sort of in 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 these, um, I mean, it's basically divorces where children are involved. But I also see that relationship with dogs. You know, when there's, you know. Um, certain certain uh, events happening or the dog is you know obviously doing some behavior maybe that the person does not approve of or appreciate but but all behavior is a function you know has a function so the dog is doing it for the reason and it's about also a conflict and part of it repairing because it's a relationship and i think it's important to think of that when we deal with um you know, it, 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 it's, it's easy to say the dog isn't obedient, the dog doesn't do what I want to do. But I mean, ultimately, and I think more and more, we have to think about what is the relationship like and, and what do we want out of that relationship and being mindful that the dog has certain needs and, and desires too. And how do we work with that? So in divorce, it really is important in the cases that I've done that the animal um, is considered not yours or mine, but rather, uh, I was interviewed by Bloomberg in 2016, and they used my quote as the as the main quote, which was, "Unfortunately, your pet doesn't hate your ex." Sort of something. And while you're going through a divorce, or even if this upheaval in COVID, the animals are really having a moment as well. There have been very many cartoons about, "Please get out of the house; you're disturbing my nap time," or there's a lot of fear around. Well, when you do go back to work and you've been home for four months, how's that dog going to cope? Or the last one is you adopted a dog because you were home from work and now they've never even experienced life without you being home. So as a behavior consultant, which I'm so glad you pointed out was a little different than an, a behaviorist because a behaviorist would have studied this in college. And what you've done is you've got all the certifications to help look at behavior and help families decide why this dog or cat 
is doing what it's doing. I'm sure you might work with horses as well, but why is this animal doing what it's doing? And what can we as humans recognize about the relationships or the, or the environment the dog, cat, or horse are in that are creating these behaviors that clearly, they don't call you to tell you, this is the greatest horse I've mm -hmm. ever ridden, or this is the most wonderful dog I've ever walked. It usually is, you know, he's pulling my arm out or he's, you know, eating the garbage all the time or my dog the other day, well, not the other day, but for the past four months, uh, circles the dining room table. Mm. So tell me a little bit about how now going from divorce where people have to understand the position of the animal in the family, which they may or may not do in your neck of the woods, they do it in my neck of the woods. But when you're thinking about that upheaval, that emotion as a behavioral consultant, you know and you understand that the animal is absorbing all this energy. And how do you first um, evaluate the animal? And then how do you help the family or evaluate the family? Um, and then how do you help the family and the animal work together? Mm. Well, so, I mean, when you, you mentioned uh, with, with COVID and being home all the time, so dogs like routine and structure and they're used to certain, you know, routine when we go to work and it's a different routine when we're home. So that's one thing that we worry about now when, you know, things change back again, especially since many people have adopted dogs during this time, what will happen when you go back to work, if you're going to, you know, be out of the home again and, and the importance of really preparing the animal for that so that they have a routine that, that they can be home alone. They, you know, we really encourage, you know, treat activity toys. Um, and, and even if you have kids home that they can't be, you know, with the animal or time or the dog all the time, there's certain times that they spend time together. So the dog has, has rest and has certain times where certain things happen. So, so that's one thing. The other thing is, of course, when people now adopt dogs, I mean, they're still working and doing things. It's kind of figuring out what, you know, a rescue dog, uh, if you don't know anything where they came from, it, it takes some time to build that relationship and find out, um, you know, what, I mean, if it's a dog and, you know, reactivity on the street is very common, or um, if the dog has guarding issues, whatever it is, to, to really find out about the animal and work with it um, and, and realize that it, it is a commitment just because you're home, it, it's still, it's an adjustment period to get that, that animal to fit into your, to your home, your family, whatever activities you're doing. Um, and that, you know, everybody in the family is on the same page with, with how to, you know, what those routines and what the structure is. I mean, it's so important to have that routine and structure for, for a dog. If you go into a home and the animal is reacting, give us, if you can, mm -hmm. uh, generically, uh, what are some of the things that the dog or the, the cat might be doing that is problematic for the family? And how do you then observe the dog or cat and then speak to the, as you said, you have to bring the family along so they understand what's creating this perfect storm that they'd like you to um, help them with. So, so you asked me, so a dog reactive to people coming in the home, for example? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so uh, 
the first thing we talk about is management, right? Because there's management and training, they kind of go hand in hand. So uh, if you don't have time to work on, on the issue, then managing it so that we don't have a behavior that keeps repeating over and over again that we really want to get rid of. So that's number one. So we talk a lot about, you know, can the dog be gated away? Can it be in a separate room? Can it be in a crate? And it may just be giving the dog a Kong or something to chew on, have some music or something on as a buffer, and then have people come over if you just want people over and not want to deal with the dog situation instead of trying to, you know, tell the dog no and try to pull them away and do it. It turns into a big commotion that really just adds more stress and anxiety for, for the dog and when people come over. So, so that's the first part. And then, um, then setting up training sessions where we really set the animal up for success. What do we want this dog to do? And, and, and a lot of it, again, it's, it's also an emotional component, of course, because emotion is driving behavior. So a lot of these things, the dog doesn't even have much decision-making power over. So it's about making the dog have a positive association with visitors coming over. So then um, when I work with clients like that, we put a dog away first. I come in, I'm seated. Then the dog comes out on a leash. And I like to, and I may just toss food first to see in on the floor and I call it find it just to see is the dog willing to eat while I'm there? Is the dog willing to focus on the food or more barking at me? If that's the case, we need to increase the distance because that's what dogs, it's all about space. Give me space, right? So we want to see what that distance is so we can work uh, under threshold. Um, and then I'm a big, um, um, I'm a big proponent of teaching the dog some really simple activities that the family can start with. It's simple things like touching a wooden spoon, playing catch, just fall, you know, uh, catch a treat in the air. Like I said, the find it just toss food in different directions. And I want the family, and there's some others, but I want the family to uh, play with a dog like this. So the dog really learns to enjoy these activities. And then I'll come over and I'll play with the dog. So we can kind of create some sort of like, um, uh, you know, the dog has, there's some predictability in people come over. I play the games I know, and these are all distant games, you know, so it's not like I, I'm going to touch the dog or anything like that until the dog really looks forward to these visits. And then we can start talking about when the dog is a lot more comfortable, they will initiate contact if they are ready. So we never try to approach dogs. And that's something that people like to do because it's, I'm friendly, you know, I want to make friends with you. And then they approach, but no, that really needs to be the dog. When they're ready, when the dog is ready, they approach. Right. And, and, you know, between rescue dogs and, dogs you might get as a puppy when they're going through their you know flight stage and things like that as a puppy mm -hmm. you you work them through it mm -hmm. uh, when you get them as an older dog you don't know what happened during that period so I love when you said so you have to make a dog but really when you explained it you said you have to allow the dog to find um, a choice that it can make that serves it mm -hmm. so I love the the throwing of the food find it 
because that will distract it from doing what it, the activity and their simple activities that can make it a little more difficult for the family. So if you have the frozen Kongs, those are great. I remember when I had my dachshund and she was always uh, in my face. She mm -hmm. was puppy and she was in my face. And when I went to class, what we did was we, and it was a, a behavior modification class. It wasn't an obedience class because she was too young and she was a whack job. Um, she was actually um, pet related. So she was great with people. Just don't bring another dog around, uh, mm -hmm. which, which was unfortunate because she was a lovely girl, but she, and she thought she was very big. So it made for quite a, you know, you had to be really on your toes with her, even though we did redirect her and we did find ways to shift it. We always, the, the uh, trainer said, well, why don't you make sure they ha always have something that they love? So when you said the Kong, it sprang, sprang in my mind that she loved those twizzles, those mm -hmm. little circular things that you can give. And so as, if you know somebody's coming over or the doorbell's about to ring, I know that most people say, well, have the dog sit. And sometimes that's way above the dog's pay grade. They just can't mm -hmm. sit when the doorbell goes, right? Yeah, um, so, and sometimes we had stress there because then we insist on the sit and then we get and it just escalates. where they don't. And, it yeah. just escalates both for the people who mm -hmm. really, why can't I get this right? And I know yeah. we'll talk about that in a minute because the stress on people who can't get it right. Mm -hmm. And I know that I know your temperament. You're like, no, this isn't easy stuff. This is really, uh, you have to be as um, simple and stress-free as you want the dog or it's mm -hmm. just never going to work because they can't read you because you're totally stressed out. So when we were working with Buff, uh, we would give her this twizzle and she would lay there and it would be awesome because she would yeah. lay there for like 20, 30 minutes. And that was all I needed for a phone call. If the phone rang and as you said, it's really great. You know, they know that when this happens, the food gets thrown and this mm -hmm. is a beautiful game. So mm -hmm. when the doorbell rings, if you either give them a twizzle or you throw the food, you know they're going to be going to get the food and not jumping on your guests as an alternative to the stressful, you know, make them sit, make them behave. I, I'm like, yeah. I, yeah. I'm so into what you said, you know, simple activities, because yeah. what we want to do, we want to teach them behaviors that distract them, but that serve them and serve you because the stress of being pulled down or made to sit or put in a crate or whatever. I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big crate person, so I love crates. And my dogs run into their crates immediately, especially when you bring out the grinder for their nails. It is, it, and they can hide in the back of those crates. They are Irish setters. And they are so small, they look like little mice because they think if they hide, if they can't see me, mm. I can't see them. And so I will never grind their nails. It hasn't worked yet, but they still believe it will. But to make the dog feel comfortable and I think the way you can do that is by making the people feel comfortable. And when you're doing your behavior consulting, it's not always all about the pet. Sometimes it's more about the people. So tell us a little bit about that. If, if it's true, if it's not, tell me, Deborah, you're out to lunch. No, I mean, it, it's, it's about both. Cause you know, people sometimes feel bad. Oh, I have a dog that does this. Like, what did I do wrong? And sometimes, no, he didn't do anything wrong either. You know, the dog, you know, um, had some bad experiences or they weren't socialized or, I mean, who knows? Uh, and some of it is frankly genetics too, you know, a super sensitive dog that it may just take, you know, like you mentioned nail clipping one nick of the nail and then they're, you know, they don't want to do nail clipping anymore, even though nail clipping, usually what people understand is you can do it with a puppy and you do it and you do it. And sometimes 
you nick the nail and then so it starts bleeding or someone else has to help to hold the dog and over time you accumulate bad experiences right so there comes a certain time enough repetitions the dog says i don't want to do this anymore that's why with socialization we talk with puppies but also with rescue dogs when we start out we want to build positive associations to everything pair good things with everything we want the dog to be good with and we want them to um again have you know not go over their comfort zone you know so stay within their comfort zone and build it gradually small steps so going back to you said what you know what people need to realize is so one thing is especially with a lot of these behavioral uh, issues is that there's a, you know an emotion driving a lot of this whether fear anxiety stress things like that and then we have to we can't push the animal beyond their the, the, the pace they're at right we need to be on the same page so small steps and we are always and as as, as trainers or behavior consultants we can we can fall into that trap too that we want to push things along faster, right? So, but that's really important to go slow and for people also to learn reading body language. It's so important. The dog is talking all the time. Um, so anything from, you know, there's, the, you know, lip licking, you know, ears going back, the tail. Even when I had that the other week, there's a dog terrified of nail, nail clipping, actually. It's funny. So we just had for a week, just have the nail clipper out on the table, you know, next to the food bowl, the, the nail clipper is just around until that's not an issue. And then it's just picking it up and then tossing a treat. And then just do that until you, you know, the dog is fine with that. And then we did the touching exercise at the same time, but separate from the nail clipper. And if the dog backs away, then that's too much, right? And for people that are like, they still kind of want to touch, but it's like, no, don't do it. Just like the dog doesn't get a treat for that, you know, and just do it easier. Maybe your hand just comes up and then the dog gets a treat and sort of start where the dog is. But we're very goal oriented. So the journey to get there, like, I want to get this done faster than yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. But the nice thing is if you do slow down and, and people get good at reading the dog be, dog's behavior, you build a lot of trust because a lot of dogs never get the opportunity to say that's too much, right? Because then usually what has happened, then someone will grab them and hold on to them since they're not cooperating, right? And it just causes so much more stress. You can work through a lot of these things fairly easy or easy, but you know, you, you just, you need to, you know, um, build the small steps. And when the, the dog knows if I back away, I'm not comfortable, then things will get easier. Like nothing will be pushed on you. And when they understand they have that communication with you, they're going to be a lot more open to, to whatever you want to do because they now, you now, you, they know you now have this communication system that actually works for them. Yeah. It's not about brute strength. Um, no. Although I always tell my owners, try to um, set the stage and, and give them the information you want while they're small, while you still outweigh them because mm -hmm. of the fact that, it is harder to stop a 60 pound Irish setter from pulling on the leash than yeah. the, you know, 15, 20 pound Irish setter. So you really want to start gently guiding at the beginning. And it's interesting because we're really on this nail thing, which I love. Um, it, when my dogs come back, they all stand on the table perfectly like little, you know, soldiers and nobody's shaking, nobody's upset. 
And the owners go, how do you do that? And I said, well, because I never grabbed their feet. I said, I've never grabbed their feet. I said, if you grab their feet, something bad's coming. And mm -hmm. I said, they lay their foot in the palm of my hand and I grind their toes. Mm -hmm. I said, so they know. And I said, if they pull away, I let them. Mm -hmm. I let them because right. yeah. too much stress right now, too much. I need a break. Okay, fine. Yep. And then we sit there, we chat and I turn the grinder off. And then I go, can we maybe try again? And they, you know, give me a kiss. And I go, okay, fine. And I pick up their paw. And if it stays in my hand, I turn on the grinder. If it stays in my hand, I go, okay, we can move forward. Like you said, it's not about speed. So when you're trying to work with a family who is having a certain issue, it's, it's sometimes the, um, the ability to communicate. There's no race. This is not fat and skinny, how to raise up and down the pillowcase. It's, it's that you really need to, understand how your dog is or cat um, is assimilating information. And, and people, what's interesting is people get that it, because that relates to themselves too. I mean, I heard some, I don't remember who said that now, but I thought it was so great. It's like, if you're afraid of someone drawing blood from you, you know, two people in white, you know, coats coming out, holding you down and getting done and say, aren't you happy we got it down really fast? Uh, no, you wouldn't be, you would never come back. Right. So, it, but I think how many people say that about the dentist, you know, yeah. this time I'm not going back. Yeah. Um, but I, they're confusing, right? There's a lot of different uh, information out there. And some of it is that you have to be, you know, dominant and the alpha and dog has to, you know, you know, do what you say you're going to do kind of thing. There's a lot of mixed messages, but once people learn, you know, to, to work with the animal, I mean, it does make sense because yeah, we all, you know, we, if we have some control in what happens to us, we feel a lot safer than if we're out of control, what happens to us. And that's just universal. Yeah. Addressing the emotions of both people. So mm -hmm. understanding the people sometimes feel as if they failed. And I loved when you said, no, you didn't fail. This is just a fork in the road. And here we are together trying to navigate that fork in the road. Which way are we going to go? Well, between all of us, we're going to figure out which way to go. That's going to be the least traumatic for everyone. Like you said, don't hold them down. There's a way to do it that's least traumatic for everyone. Um, and don't push. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. When, when I started dog obedience, which is a, a little sliver of a training in the right way or the wrong way. Sometimes uh, you have good trainers. Sometimes you don't. Uh, that was the mantra of the second trainer I went to. The first trainer threw empty um, soda bottles at the dogs on the long sit so they wouldn't move. And I said, somehow yeah. I think this isn't good for my dog. And believe me, and I know Vivian, you are going to absolutely give me kudos for this. If somebody does something to a dog in your obedience class that you wouldn't want done to your dog, leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Leave. Yeah. Because your dog is watching this and you're watching this. And if both of you think this isn't the way I want to train my dog, yeah, I know they have a lot of degrees and I know they have things up on the wall and everything else. Find the, the trainer or, um, that, can, that can really put you on the right path that makes you feel good. If it doesn't feel right to you, don't go back. Yeah. You know, and, and that's not to say that, well, you know, they're making me do hard things and I don't want to do those hard things. No. If it's hard, that's one thing. And that's why you would call someone like Vivian, uh, who would come over and help you really navigate over that hump. Uh, but really, if it's something that doesn't re resonate with you, and I, I have to say, I went to a, a camp with a very well-known um, trainer, and they had everyone, so I'm older than dirt, Vivian, so we, they were still doing 
the ear pinch and the choke to get oh, people yeah. to be uh, reliable retrievers. So my Irish setter, Raisin, um, was the most reliable retriever I ever owned. Mm -hmm. And the minute I got out of camp, she never retrieved again. Wow. Because she said to me, and she showed me a hundred times, but you know, when you're young and you're stupid, which now I'm old and I'm hopefully not as stupid, uh, you, you old and humble now, <laughs> very humble, very humble. You know, there are people that, that if you feel it, and that's why I always put this in here when anyone says about a, a trainer, if you feel that it's not serving you or your dog, you don't have to do it. It doesn't matter that they yeah. have every degree. And now of course, well, Raisin was born in 1984. So now they don't do ear pinches anymore, or at least most people don't. And they don't do the choke. They throw it and they reward. It's always positive, mm -hmm. um, positive resolution and, and positive reinforcement. And that's what I loved about the throwing of the food or the, or the swizzle. Uh, because you want to, if you want to change behavior, and you could use this with your kids too sometimes, um, rewarding the positive and picking yeah. on the positive yeah. will, will often create that pathway to more positive instead of always coming down on them and saying, no, 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 that's not the way to do it. So why do pets matter uh, to Vivian? It's because she really wants to help people live their best life with their pets. I think that's what I'm taking away today is that you want people to live their best life with their pets. If they're having an issue, call you. Um, or, or, or just a positive, anybody positive, because I agree with behavior, we run into this sometimes that especially if it's more, you know, if we're talking a dog with a bite history or so, some more severe behaviors is that sometimes people feel and, and, and I can't blame them. I mean, it makes a lot of sense is that I'm going to send my dog to a boot camp and I have a guarantee. They say in two weeks, it's going to be fixed. And it's very tempting to do that. And I always when, when I get some of those clients, I, you know, it's very important to also not make them feel bad that they did go through with it. I mean, ideally, like you said, they should have heard it and say, I'm not doing that. But you know what, like you say, you, you know, you're, you're talking about your age. I'm, I'm not that young either. And I actually started in Doman Rescue. That's how I got into the behavioral, um, specifically dog behavior uh, consulting um, is that I was in Doberman Rescue and I, I had adopted a Doberman who was reactive to people and also bikes on the bike path and things like that. And, and I hired a, a trainer and I was, uh, you know, told to hang him in a choke chain on the bike path, specifically go to the bike path and hang him on the, on the choke chain every time a bike came by, you know. So been there, done that, uh, learned better, but it's, it's, it's very hard because everybody has their, they want to fix a problem, which makes a lot of sense. And what's the best way to do that? And I'm just hoping that people, you know, find I mean, that now that we're past that point and, and some people still, I guess, maybe training that way. However, most people now recognize that there's a reason why that dog's reactive. And if mm -hmm. you unlock that cause, which yeah. is what you do by watching what the dog does right before you talked about the body language, body language is key. I always know when uh, my dog, Junie, my youngest, is going to go into orbit over a squirrel um, or a, <laughs> a cat or a chipmunk. And I sit there and I have gotten to the point where I, I know it. And if I don't catch it soon enough and he, you know, is like a spring, he, he ejects himself and you're like, holy Toledo. I really just take a moment and I 
hold his face. So in, in the dog show world, we hold under their, under their throat and, and I hold him and he's going into orbit and he's spinning and I'm just quietly rubbing his cheek because I know at this point, his amygdala is way in control of his entire body. His, his little amygdala, which is there somewhere, is in control of his entire body and his prefrontal cortex is gone. So as we know in people, you don't really answer things correctly. So um, yes. he just needs time to get, okay, this world's gone, okay. And um, I have to tell you, the other piece that you mentioned, which was so funny, in my neighborhood, some gentleman opened a business where he not only found you a pure red dog uh, from a high reputable breeder, which wasn't necessarily true, but I digress. Uh, he then would train it for you and send it to doggy daycare. So he had the, the um, triple hat play, uh, whatever it's called. Uh, he would get you to buy the dog from him at a high markup. He would then train the dog for you at an incredible price. And then he would have you leave it there with him all day. So you didn't have to put up with it because you couldn't do what he did, and I know Vivian, you and I That's both refer to people and say, I can take your dog and train it, but then it will only do things for me. Because what works in training is that you have to learn how to read your dog so you can get your dog to do what it is you want them to do. And it's time consuming. And, it and it's your relationship, right? I mean, that's what- relationship. It is watching. It is watching your dog when you're walking down the street and knowing that in that brain, sometimes I try to be a step ahead of them and, and you know, sometimes I am, which is very cool. Uh, and then I turn around when the cat is coming out of the driveway and I go, okay, you didn't see it. We're turning this way. We're going to miss that whole entire screaming scenario because it really, you just have to read. I am so grateful you were here. Um, for, for the listeners in the podcast, I always try to pull three things out. So the, the most important piece I think is to be prepared you prepared and your pet prepared for learning how to read each other, learning how to have a relationship. That is like the most important piece. And then manage and train them. And if you don't have a good handle on managing and training, there are tons of books out there, but you can call someone like Vivian to come in and really help you get started because you just might need a few tips. And then finally, please God, please always believe you're gonna be successful. Because if you don't, then that's going to take you twice as long to get past this conduct in your pet that's driving you nuts. If you think he'll never be trained, it will be a self-fulfilling prophecy, Vivian. I'm sure you agree. But if you believe that you can redirect him. So I never think about it being as, as training as much as I think it be, is redirection. Because as you probably learned with your reactive Doberman, it was redirecting her or him when she was reactive, not stringing her up. Yeah, and building different associations, you know, and that's another thing for people like there's it's so fascinating. Be curious about it, you know, learn about your your dog. I mean, there's so much, you know, I always feel people that have more problematic dogs, they in many times grow closer to their dogs because they really need to figure things out and learn about their dog in a very different way, you know. So so sort of enjoy the journey as much as you can, even though it has bumps in the road, but you know, it, it can be a very rewarding thing and you learn so much and- It's an adventure. And mm -hmm. you know what? You learn a lot about yourself too. Very uh, true, very and, true. And, and it's always, if you take the time, mm -hmm. they will always make you your best self. Mm -hmm. 
You know, there's a quote that Roger Harris has, and I hope I remember it now that I've, at least I remembered his name, so you can look it up. But um, our dogs are not our whole life, but they make our lives whole. Mm. And that goes across yeah. the board because they do make our lives whole, no matter where we are, what we're doing, especially now during COVID, whether it's a dog or a cat, I always make sure I include that because, mm -hmm. you know, cats are just as much a part of our lives. Uh, they can yes. be a little naughtier and they can be a little more um, um, curious on how to shift behaviors, but that can happen too. And maybe we'll have you back, Vivian, to talk simply about cats. That would be great. Yep, sounds good. The Why Do Pets Matter podcast drops every Thursday and can be found on whichever platform you find your podcast. Subscribe now, invite your friends, and I cannot wait to have you join me in these conversations.